Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about making your seed decisions, especially related to soybeans. If you've got any questions for us about that or anything that's going on in your farm, you can give us a call here, 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphd Media, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. So we will talk a little about soybean seed today, but we're going to get into a lot of other things, including the Ag PhD mailbag here just shortly. Just to start with, though, I, 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 I just want to say this. When it comes to making variety selections, now granted, with corn, I would tell you as a normal farmer, you should probably be planting 10 to 12 different varieties on your farm. Even if you only farm 500, 800 acres, I'd still plant 10 or 12 varieties on your farm, no joke. That is what I have seen over the years to be the best in terms of spreading your risk and minimizing the downside potential loss. With soybeans, it's a little bit different. I I mean, I'm not suggesting that the average farmers have 10 or 12 different varieties of soybeans on the farm, but I would certainly have a bunch. The reason why is because you just don't know what's going to happen with the weather. However, with soybeans, we have certain things that are, let's say, very traumatic for your bean, and there may only be a few varieties that can overcome whatever that thing is. For example, iron deficiency chlorosis. Well, there are only a few beans that are amazing in terms of iron deficiency chlorosis tolerance. So you got to have something there. Let's say it's maybe sudden death syndrome. Maybe you've had a tremendous issue with that in the past. Well, you got to find something that's great on sudden death. Uh, maybe it's white mold. Maybe it's cyst nematode. I, I mean, there are there are several different things there. So if you have one of those things, well, now you're really limited on which varieties you can get. And this is also why we talk so much here. And again, I don't care what crop it is, but we talk so much here about trying to do everything you can for your soil. If you make your soil amazing between drainage, uh, getting the right amount of calcium out there, having a good balance of nutrients and amount of nutrients, everything from NP and K, the primary nutrients, all the way down to the micros. You get the soil pH right. You do all these other things right, then usually you can pick from more varieties and be super successful. It could be corn, soybeans, wheat. I don't care what it is. However, there are certainly things that just all of a sudden show up. Maybe it's a disease that you've never had on your farm before or a bug or something else. Some other weird thing happens and all of a sudden, whatever your top variety was, all of a sudden becomes your worst. We see it all the time. The other thing, I was just talking to Darren here earlier today and Glenn Hers, he's our Ag PhD research lead. We were just talking about varieties and just the difference because some farmers see, oh, I got a 30 bushel loss or a 50 bushel loss. And it's like, well, look, I, I said, Glenn, let's pull up any one of your plots that you've done with seed over the last many years or pull up anybody's trial work. I don't care if it's a county trial or anybody that's doing any trial work. Look at what the yield difference is from top to bottom. Or if you say, well, I wouldn't pick the bottom variety. Well, look back at last year. A lot of the bottom varieties this year were some of the top varieties last year. But even if you want to say, oh, I would never pick that. Well, even look at the difference in yield in any plot you want from the top variety to the middle variety. Like in soybeans, I mean, it's mini bushels. In corn, a lot of times, just top to middle, it's 30, 40 bushels. 
So the, the reason why we want you to plant lots of varieties with any type of seed you are raising, as much as you can, and again, you got to first look at the defensive traits needed. So if you only have two varieties to pick from that have the defensive trait you need, well, then you're kind of stuck. But as much as you can, we want to spread that risk because we just can't predict what's going to happen with Mother Nature. And I, especially like for me as an agronomist over all these years, working with thousands and thousands of farmers, not just here in the United States and Canada, but all over the world, I just have seen too many failures where they say, well, this has never happened before. And I used the same thing last year and for the last three years, and it's all been great. And now all of a sudden it's disaster. We just don't want disasters happening on a big scale on your farm. Our dad always used to tell us, guys, the difference between farmers who are successful and those who aren't, those who aren't, it's the size of their mistakes. Everybody's going to make mistakes and mother nature's going to get everybody. I don't care how much you try, you can't beat mother nature. But what you can do is spread your risk out so much so when there is a failure, it's not a failure over the whole farm. All right, so we'll talk a little about soybeans and seed decisions today on the show, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Darren. All right, Brian, uh, these uh, soil tests that I'm sending you there have a min, max, and average on each one, so each one of those sheets is an individual nutrient. Uh, This question comes in from Brandon. He is over in southeast Iowa. He said, guys, I got a 40-acre piece of alfalfa here. And they're recommending I spend about $17,000 on fertility here. So that's obviously a lot of money for a 40-acre field. Uh, just kind of curious what you think, what you see out of these samples, and and uh, what you would do if you had this, trying to grow alfalfa. Okay, with alfalfa, first thing we always talk about on a soil test, period, regardless of crop, is soil pH. Well, with alfalfa, you're getting killed here in your low pH spot. You got a bunch that's 5, 8 to 6 That's probably taking 80 to 90% of the possible tonnage you could raise with alfalfa. You have to correct that, and you have to correct it now. It's interesting. We were just talking about this. I think it was on the show yesterday, or maybe it's a couple of days ago. And anyway, the question was, should I just put the lime out there now and then seed the alfalfa? Should I wait a year? What should I do? I'm going to tell you, if I see a pH that low, I would not plant that field to alfalfa. I just wouldn't do it. I get the pH fixed first. Once you got it up near 7, then you can go ahead and seed alfalfa. But obviously, there's nothing you could do at this point, but get that lime out there. That's an absolute must. In terms of like phosphorus, yes, you're very low. But the problem is that phosphorus, a lot of that that you put out there now, it's not going to get into that crop. So I don't know how many more years you're keeping that alfalfa stand out there. Let's say it was only one more year. I might put a tiny little bit of phosphorus out, but I'd save my money and then I'd load that ground up in the future when phosphorus price is a little bit cheaper. Potassium can move in the soil a little bit more, so you know, you gotta spend the money there. There's a lot of K that leaves the field every time you have alfalfa. Well, stay tuned, we'll be right back. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor herbicide brands. Always read and follow label directions. It changes everything. 
So says Indiana corn grower Nathan Davis about innovative Zyway LFR fungicide from FMC. Zyway brand fungicides are the first and only at-plant corn fungicides to provide unprecedented, season-long, inside-out foliar disease protection. Discover more grower and retailer success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. If you've ever wondered how the farm all got its name, Here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio today. Right before the break, we were answering a question from Brandon about his alfalfa field and fertility. The last thing, and I ran out of time there, but the last thing that I wanted to add to that is we looked at the prices that Brandon was paying for potash especially, and it was about 50% higher than we're paying on our farm. And so I would just say, Brandon, and, and really for anybody listening, this is part of the reason why we started spreading our own fertilizer about 25 years ago. I just remember that very first year, I think we only bought like three or six semi-loads of fertilizer, saved enough money to pay for the brand new fertilizer spreader that we bought. And then it's been all gravy ever since then. Plus the fact that we then have control and we know what's going where. So now we set up variable rate maps for all our fertility, just like in Brandon's case here. I mean, not every area of his alfalfa field is bad for phosphorus or potassium or pH. So if you spread it in the right areas, that is a way to save money. And I don't know who you were working with or what they were doing or what their variable plan was. I know that fertilizer is expensive, and so I just made the comment, like with phosphorus, that doesn't move well in soil. This year may not be the year to load up. I'd probably pick another year to load up, but you got to have some fertility out there or you know you can't have a great crop. All right, and speaking of crops, one of them you may be considering raising on your farm this year is soybeans, and we're going to talk about soybean seed decisions on our show today. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Let's head over to North Carolina. Got our friend Kevin Matthews on with us right now with Extreme Ag, and he farms uh, in in the good ground in North Carolina and some ground that maybe <laughs> isn't quite so good too, uh, like the rest of us. How you doing, Kevin? Oh, can't complain. How about you guys? You know, doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. We're thinking about seed though for next year, and I know for us one of the first decisions is the trait that we're going to go with. But then we start looking at key defensive traits. That's probably number two for us. Uh, I guess for you, is it different when you got some ground where you're shooting for hundred bushel plus, or or where do you start when you start 
dividing up between uh, varieties and picking the right one for you? Yeah, we really look at, um, you know, so we're, we're 22 inch or 20 inch rows, excuse me, on our soybeans. So we're looking at something that's going to be short and branchy and bushy. Uh, we really like that type of plant. So we're going to look at the plant structure, number one. Um, and number two, we're going to be looking at the de defense package, you know, how, especially SDS, that's just getting to be worse and worse, and we're going to look at it. We're going to be looking at our septoria, try to find out as much information as we can, how it's handled that disease, uh, those viruses it hits, and so it's really a lot to look at. Um, we're, we're always, or, you know, frog guys are a big deal for us. Um, downy mildew we can handle that a little more but then you have some varieties that just don't like it um so there's so much uh, where we farm that we have to deal with in diseases we really look at that whole package and we look at proven track record we want to see how these varieties done in our test plots and then we've got a lot of neighbors that do a great job on test plots and we want to look at theirs see how it performed in our area, and then we're also going to go look and see how it does in other areas of the U.S. in similar latitudes. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you say that, that you've got neighbors that are doing test plots as well, and I think that's one of the, uh, Brian was talking about earlier, plant lots of different numbers, and you may start with just, hey, let's just do a few strips of this and, and try it out in this type of ground and this type of ground and see with our own management. And that's one of the things I know you do such a good job, Kevin, on management and, and like you say, just scouting and being aware of these different diseases that are out there. You know what you're looking for. Uh, getting things out in your own management, sometimes it looks a little different than it does even for a neighbor down the road. It certainly does. So you need to really understand and know and watch how that neighbor does things before you go making a decision. Just because he's having a big success with one variety that maybe you look you haven't looked at, you need to really pay attention and, and ask the right questions to see what and how he is managing that variety. Because he may be managing it in a totally different fashion than what you're wanting to do with your varieties. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We all farm a little bit different, and, and it's kind of good to understand that because, uh, like you say, if you're you're looking at fungicides to manage some of these things and others, we don't have really good fungicides for them. So if you've got some disease your neighbor doesn't have or if you're no-till and he's conventional till, that kind of thing, there could be some, some huge differences for sure. Well, hey, Kevin, thank you so much. Really appreciate you talking a little about soybeans with us. Good luck to you, and, and we'll see you again down the road. All righty, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I've got Jordan Arndell with us right now with DeKalb Asgro. And Jordan, Kevin got into a few things there that I, I think are super important. He, he said for one of the first things he looks at is just standability. Is that plant going to stand up so I can harvest it? Well, uh, I'm sure you hear kind of all across the board getting to work with all the farmers you do uh, over in Indiana. What are some of the things guys are, are looking at in terms of picking the right variety? Yeah, so, you know, I have to agree. Uh, standability is always something that people look at, and I believe it's something that we should always address. Um, when I look at individual varieties, and I, look at, I look at the standability score, but I'm looking at the standability score to help me gauge the planting population, really. If I've got a really high-yielding soybean uh, or a soybean that has really high-yield potential, but it might be average or a little less than average on standability. I don't necessarily move away from that. I just put that in the back of my head and think, okay, 
what field would this possibly be placed in and what population should I plant this at to accommodate that standability score? The number one thing that I look at when I look at picking soybean varieties is top end yield potential. That, and and I, I firmly believe that top end yield potential should always be what we're focused on with picking soybean varieties because at the end of the day, it can be the best standing bean, it can be a brown bean, a gray bean, excellent on diseases, it can do all those things. But if it didn't have the yield that we wanted, then we still didn't pick the right product. Yeah, it's hard to make money if you don't if you don't have yield there to sell at the end of the season. No doubt about that. Hey, you got a lot of growers that fell in love with different Extend varieties. Now you got the new Extend Flex trait. What are you noticing for differences between those, and and how do you kind of coach growers through? All right, hey, it's time to switch. We got uh, several years now breeding in this Extend Flex. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I, I liked about how the company went actually about breeding uh, as we've moved through the different trait platforms, not just moving from Extend to Extend Flex, but even when we moved from Roundup Ready 1s to Roundup Ready 2s into the Roundup Ready to Yield Extend system, we've been able to, we've been able to take some of our best performing products and utilize uh, some of that lineage to come up with some of our new products in each one of those phases. So uh, 38X8 is very, very similar to our 38XF1. 36X6, we've been able to use some of that lineage. So some of our really good performing products uh, that had some great top end yield, uh, we've been able to use some of their strengths to, to move forward into our ExtendFlex lineup. The big thing that I've been coaching people on is is how we go about utilizing the actual ExtendFlex system. Uh, there for a while, it's really advocating to, for using Dicamba in season. And now with the ExtendFlex system, I've been uh, advocating for people to use their Dicamba early in the season, uh, right after planting or right around planting, and then following back up with a Liberty and Warren Ultra option. And what that does is that gives me some knockdown power for some weeds that may have broken through uh, the early laid residuals. But it also gives us another really good layer of residual that we get out of the Fomisafin with the Warren Ultra uh, and the, the Acetacor and the Warren Ultra. So we get some knockdown power. We get a second uh, layer of residual that should last all season long. And, and I feel like coaching them on that piece of it has really been uh, what I've been focused on. You know what? Weed control is so big, and all you need to do is just look at your yield monitor and find that one little spot where you get wide with the sprayer and how you ran out about a half a pass from the end, and you know what you lost. It's a lot. So I think you're right, Jordan. We want to do a great job picking varieties that give us lots of yield potential and then certainly figure out how to get the most out of each variety that we put out there because they all might need a little bit different management. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much. Really appreciate all the tips today and good luck to you here all right thank you guys you bet thank you talking about soybean seed decisions on today's show we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout today at 844-44-AG-PHD or you can email us radio at agphd.com we'll be right back after this It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season 
by visiting Corteva.us. CNB, your local John Deere dealer, is here to help you get in the field and keep you going all season long. Turn to CNB for all your equipment needs. Stop into your local CNB or visit DeerEquipment.com. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit FarmShopMFG.com for more. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. Did you know that more than 50 weed species will survive the winter? Get a jump start on spring with a fall burndown herbicide plan. Weed control in fall provides big benefits including more flexibility, less need for tillage, and a stronger start come planting. New Farm offers a strong lineup of proven herbicides to reduce the weed seed bank and protect your crop from harvest to canopy. Go to newfarm.com slash US crop slash fall burndown 2022 to learn more. It's smart to make the right agronomic choices, and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them. With the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, you earn cash back on seed, herbicides, and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter, because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus Rewards. Visit MyBayerPlus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. It doesn't matter what you grow, how much you grow, or where you grow it. Commodity Classic is the place to discover what's next in agriculture. Join us in Orlando for America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused educational and agricultural experience. Preparing for the next generation. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, thinking about next spring already and the soybean seed decisions that we're going to be making, and we're discussing that today. We're open to your phone calls, though, throughout. If you want to talk about soybean seed decisions or any other agronomic topic, that's totally fine with us. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Got Mike Staten on with us right now over at Michigan State. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. All right, we're talking about soybean seed decisions, and for a lot of growers, they'll they'll list the the variety of seed they choose as one of the more important decisions on the farm each year. Uh, what are some of the things that growers should be looking at, and uh, and what are you looking at at Michigan State? Boy, I agree one hundred percent. It is a very important decision because it affects several different factors. The most obvious one that we think about is yield potential. And uh, just in our MSU variety trials, uh, year in and year out, we see a huge difference. And these are supposed to be some of the best varieties that the companies have to offer. We see a range, if we take the high minus the average, that's consistently six bushels per acre. 
if you take the highest yielding minus the lowest yielding, that doubles. That gets up to 12 bushels per acre. So just it doesn't cost you any money, and you can increase your yield potential. I think another pest management is something that we really need to value in our, our, our selection. Uh, nematode management, SCN, is very, very important. It maintains yields in infested fields if we choose the right source of resistance. Um, it also delays uh, further resistance. And uh, one of the best sources of information on that, I'm sure you're aware of this and your listeners are aware of it, but if you're not, Greg Tilka from Iowa State University does the best job of evaluating um, soybean variety resistance to uh, SCN. Yeah, I, I agree. Greg's uh, Greg's been on Greg's been on the show a few times here, and and you're right. He and he had made a comment a few years ago, Mike. He said, "Yep, I'm not the most popular speaker right now. A lot of people think they got this thing licked, but in a few years they'll all be back." And he's absolutely right. He's super popular once again because hey, we're seeing more issues with nematodes, no doubt. We really are. So I think that's a really important one. And then disease management, kind of those defensive traits, I think, are incredibly important. And, uh, you know, depending on what you you basically have to know that you've got a, a verified pest in your field. If you've got a history of white mold, for example, boy, let's let's choose, uh, you know, elevate white mold uh, uh, tolerance as one of the factors that we select because it is our most effective way of managing white mold. It's also our most effective way of managing sudden death syndrome and Phytophthora root and stem rot. So uh, if you have those problems in your field, you really do need to um, you know, consider those factors. Yeah, there are a lot of things to look at, and it, it, there there are differences between the, the varieties, no doubt about that, and just questions I think you have to ask up front. We talk about this a lot. If you don't ask the questions up front, uh, it, you can't really undo any of those choices later on. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing when you're using those disease, like in the seed catalogs, this kind of drives me crazy, but they, uh, many of them use a one to nine rating scale. And the trouble is in some catalogs, some companies say that one is excellent, nine is poor, but then their comp- a competing company will say nine is excellent and one is poor. So you really do have to keep your head screwed on straight when you're looking at those ratings and just make sure you read the fine print and uh, otherwise you could be making the exact opposite decision that you thought you were making. Yeah, it can be confusing, and sometimes companies change the way they're doing that, too, from one year to the next, and and that can be confusing, too. So definitely got to ask some questions as you're picking those seed varieties. Hey, Mike, this is great stuff. We really appreciate having you on today. No problem. Thank you for having me. You bet. Thank you. Head down to Mississippi State. We've got Trent Irby on with us right now. All right, Trent, you got you got the benefit of listening to Mike there a little bit, and uh, he talked about yield potential and pest management. I mean, there's certainly a lot of things to think about with with soybean varieties. Uh, obviously, conditions a little bit different down in Mississippi than they are up in Michigan. What are some of the things that the guys in the South are looking at? For us, the the, the big thing I think. I mean, obviously, yield potential number one. Number two, disease management is a big one for us. Uh, the best example I could give to that is uh, eight or nine years ago, we had uh, a very popular variety, really high yielding, really forgiving across multiple, you know, soil textures. Uh, we had a really bad frog out release spot year. And I mean, it, it, it hit. And I bet a third of our total acres was planted to that variety, you know. So uh, just picking varieties that, that, that have that disease package in it is incredibly important as well. 
Yeah, and and I think that really plays into something uh, my brother was talking about here earlier, just planting multiple varieties on the farm because you never know when there's going to be a surprise, like like Target Spot. It, you guys weren't talking about Target Spot uh, just not that many years ago, and now that's that's something that, that we'll get calls and questions on of, hey, what about Target Spot? You guys aren't talking about that enough, and uh, you just don't know what the next big disease or, or pest problem is going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I, I'll recommend to spread those risks out across multiple varieties. And, you know, for us, uh, 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 I'm not going to say it's a new scenario, but one that we've just kind of started thinking about is this quality issue in the fall when we get heavy rains and high humidities at harvest time. Uh, you know, it seems to coincide with the specific stage of development of the pod. And when, when that, that weather event moves through and causes all that seed decay and and sprouting within the pod, et cetera. So you know, that's another thing to think about, spreading it out across different maturities as well, uh, you know, to kind of kind of minimize that risk associated with those poorly timed weather events. Now, a lot of growers will talk about just the plant structure and is it going to fill in the rows quickly for us? Are we going to be able to shade out the ground and try and choke out the pigweeds a little quicker? Are you seeing guys make any major changes to try to get after this pigweed issue with narrow rows or bushier type beans or anything like that? Well, we're a little bit unique uh, in terms of our irrigated acres. We have quite a few irrigated soybean acres here and, and we're primarily a furrow irrigation, irrigation based system. So, uh, that's going to be at, you know, to some extent, 30-inch rows, but there's a lot of 38-inch rows. And, and those guys on 38, yeah, they'll, we'll, we'll try to look for a bushier variety and, and maybe even adopt a twin-row pattern up on top of that bed, uh, you know, to, to shade that middle and keep those pigweeds at bay. Yeah, it's not not easy, and like you say, you got a wider row, you got plentiful moisture. That could be a challenge, but boy, it doesn't seem like plentiful moisture. All we hear is about how dry the river is down there. Man, it it was a crazy harvest season. Uh, you know, we we were we had the most amazing harvest weather where we could start the combine so early in the day and run them late at night, and everything got full and there was nowhere to take it. Uh, the river closed down, and man, it was just. It just kind of got to be a mess there where we got about halfway through. Yeah, always something every year, and uh, that's, that's why right. why we that's love right. having resources like uh, the folks at Mississippi State. Uh, Trent Irby's with us right here talking a little about soybeans and variety selection. Uh, Trent, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Yep, I think we might have just lost Trent there. So maybe that was good timing to wrap up with Trent. Uh, you know, a couple of things there that, that he mentioned uh, when it comes to disease management. And there are some diseases we could do a nice job on. There are others that, that are a little bit tougher. And if we get yep. good tolerance to those diseases with the varieties we pick, it sure makes it a lot easier to, to try and manage that crop through the season. Right. It definitely does. And so I think about even white mold where – so everybody talks about sudden death and IDC and all these other diseases with soybeans, but I just think about sclerotinia white mold. Not enough people talk about the tolerance. And I know, Darren, that's something you've said in the past. There's a big difference from one variety to the next. And because white mold is a disease that literally could take 100% of your yield, it's nice to start with that tolerance. So at least hopefully you're not losing, ever losing 100%. But then if you do two or three or four management steps, hopefully you can get to at least 90, 95% of full yield, even if white mold hits hard. 
Yeah, and I think standability is one big characteristic when it comes to if you've got a lot of disease, if you've got a variety that stands up well, that sure helps. If you've got one that leans a bunch or or even lodges, it, it's really tough to fight disease in those fields. So definitely want to look at disease tolerance and also look at that plant structure. That's going to give you a good indication of how, how that plant is going to respond and how easy it's going to be to manage. Talking about soybean seed decisions here, we got a number of questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. We'll dig into those coming up next. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty and in recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, claiming to improve soil health and plant development. There's a lot to sort through. That's why we're devoting a full day to our Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Thursday, January 12th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and we wanna share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You can count on AgroLiquid for precision crop nutrition. When you don't get all your potash down in the fall, when weather or market prices change your management strategy, or when you want to balance your fertilizer program with micronutrients, AgroLiquid is ready with the products and application flexibility you want for in-season crop nutrition and the research-proven results you need. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Get the most out of every acre of your farm by attending Ag PhD's workshops and clinics this winter. I'm Darren Hefty. My brother Brian and I are hosting several free workshops throughout January and February with seven full days of events on the docket, including agronomy workshops in corn, soybeans, and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. We have a lot of great information that we can't wait to share. And best of all, these events are free. Register today at agphd.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at soilwarrior.com. Get maximum spray drift control with Pentair Hypro Ultra Low Drift Max Nozzles, the ideal nozzle for dicamba and 240 applications, providing up to 95% drift reduction. Ensure you get the best coverage on hard-to-hit targets. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. 
We're going to dig into the Ag PhD mailbag again here. This comes from Alyssa, and she's over in Montana. And she said, as part of a college project, I, I pulled some soil samples from the family ground here for a soil fertility class. But I want to keep uh, keep going on this. I don't want to just use it for a class project. I want to see what we can do to manage this better. We've got some flood irrigated hay that has uh, clover and grasses in it. And I'm just curious, what stands out to you with these soil tests? Uh, what are some things that you would do to try to improve tonnage? We're getting about two and a half tons per acre. Do you think we could do a little bit better? Wait, tonnage managing, of what? Uh, a mixed grass and clover hay in okay. a flood ir irrigated hay field uh, in Montana. Mm -hmm. And then she's also curious about uh, some weed control things too here. But let's let's start with, uh, well, with the let, fertility side. Well, wait a second though. Weed control, there's nothing you can do because you got grass and clover together. And that also comes back to the tonnage discussion. You're not going to get as many tons when you put grass and clover together. So there's certainly advantage to having the grass and clover together in that, oh, it's easy and I'll just do this. It's a nice mix for my livestock or whatever. That's all fine. But I'm just saying, if your number one goal is I care nothing about anything else other than I want maximum tonnage, you need to plant the grass on some of the acres and the hay on some other acres or the clover on some other acres. And then you can manage them separately as they need to be managed. You can control all the weeds. You can do a lot of great things. But it's very challenging when you put them together. Okay, so for the soil test, first thing is it's a 17 cation exchange capacity. Now, on this, I could get a charge out of this. Uh, this column here, it says very high. Well, maybe that's relative to whatever other ground. This is, this is, a, this is a fertility <clears throat> student, Brian, yes. making, making well, her best guess on some of those things. Well, so. because it says approximate normal range 1 to 10, that would be approximate normal range for sand. So approximate normal range like where we farm is 15 to 25, maybe 30. So 17 we would consider, and this is a reason why we like seeing cation exchange capacity. So that way I don't have to hear anybody say, oh, I have heavy ground or I have light ground. I can literally just look at the CEC and I go, oh, I know exactly what we're talking about here. I, I don't need to, you don't need to tell me, oh, it's silty loam or clay loam or what. I don't care. I just care about the CEC. It's 17. That tells us it's kind of a medium textured soil. So that ties directly together with things like potassium, for example. This one says 105 parts per million of K2O potassium. That's very low with a 17. It would be okay if you had, let's say, an 8 CEC or something like that. The lighter the ground, the less total nutrients the soil can hold. So when we get up to a 17, that soil could easily hold three, four, five hundred parts per million of potassium. Now you don't necessarily need quite that much or anything, but I'm guessing your base saturation potassium percentage is well below 4% at that 105 parts per million. So that to me is a really big thing. And I, my trigger on our farm is potassium because that's been one of the things that has really stood out where boy if we have good potassium levels we have a lot better yield and when we start talking about hay grass and clover you're taking a lot of the potassium off that field just time after time after time when you cut that so that's why we got to keep replenishing with potassium so that's the other reason why i looked at that first Okay, when I look at Olson P uh, for the phosphorus, it's only 6, so that's really low. I'd like it to be 50, um, at least 30, but 
uh, six is really, really low. Nitrate, I mean, a lot of times it just flat out is going to be low, so you just have to continue spoon feeding it and putting more nitrogen on every year and maybe even multiple times every year. Then when we get to some of the micronutrients, I don't know what lab was did this work, and so I don't know the extraction method. It, it makes a lot of difference. Just as a quick example, there's a DTPA extraction method. There's also a malic 3 Well, the malic 3 is going to show us higher levels of a lot of the micronutrients than the DTPA. In, like in the case of manganese, much higher especially as the pH goes goes higher. So anyway, I, all I'm getting at here is it's kind of hard for me to interpret it because I don't know for sure what we're looking at for an extraction method. But just as I glance at it quick where you said, oh, my boron is low at 0.3 parts per million, I'm going to assume you're absolutely correct on that. And like with sulfur, uh, it's not a micronutrient, but it's a secondary nutrient, 92 parts per million. And, or uh, I apologize, that 92 pounds per acre, it says here, and you've listed that as very high. I wouldn't call that very high. I would say that's about right what I'm looking for. I, that would translate to roughly 46 parts per million. That to me is about ideal. That's great. So anyway, um, yeah, it looks like you're on the right track with a lot of things where you listed certain things low, certain things high. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm great with all that. I, I just say, there's a definite difference when we start talking about heavy soil versus light soil and how much that soil can hold and how much we really want out there, especially for nutrients like potassium. Oh, and in the future, if you ever have any specific questions, you ever want us to look at soil tests, any of that kind of stuff, you can sure do that. We also have an Ag PhD Soils Clinic coming up this winter, and Neil Kinsey will be here at Baltic. And, and granted, as a student, I don't know if you're going to want to do that and spend three days here or three days live streaming, because that does cost a little bit of money with, with Neil. But you could certainly check out the Ag PhD Soils Clinic for a couple of days in January. All right, thanks for the questions. Uh, I get this from Dean up in North Dakota. He said, guys, uh, I want you to look at these two soil samples to determine what is causing the lack of yield in the problem area of this field. I think it's a salt problem. I think tile is probably going to be what you guys recommend. But I have two tests uh, just here. Just curious which thing. Which is which? Do I know what I'm looking at? Oh, it's oh, there it is. Way at the top it says problem. Okay, on both of... Well, let me, let me restate that. On the... On the one sample, I don't have a lot of the information. On the one where it says problem, I do have a lot of information. So I can't really make a direct comparison to say, oh, yeah, see, in your good area, it's this, and in the bad area, it's this. I don't know. So I, I always encourage people, take a complete sample. Like for us anymore, we're running Malik 3 analysis. A complete soil test costs like $12 or something. It's dirt cheap. So get a complete test and then that's that usually will give us some more answers okay so anyway when i start looking at this the first thing that i see is the cat exchange capacity says 86 i will promise you it's not an actual 86 when we run into some of the things where we've got ridiculously high calcium levels like in this case where it says 13,972 parts per million of calcium we like seeing, we like running a test. It's called excess lime. Do we have excess lime out there? I'll guarantee you, you do. I will also guarantee you if you run a ran a cation displacement test, that's something Neil Kinsey does in soils like this. 
your cation exchange capacity is not going to be anywhere close to 86. It might be 30 or 40. That sounds realistic. 86 to me does not. So I'm going to take, like when I look at base saturation K, it says 0.6%. I'm going to take that with a grain of salt because if your cation exchange capacity was much lower, your K percentage would be much better, and they wouldn't show all this calcium that's there uh, in the base saturation test. But anyway, when I look at potassium, nevertheless, I see only 199 parts per million. In our heavy soils on our farm, where we're dealing with, call it 35, maybe 40 on the outside end, I like seeing 500 parts per million of potassium. So that's a really big deal to me. With soluble salts, though, yes, you're right. I, I mean, you're, you're at a 3.22 on soluble salts, so that, that's a problem. Good news is, with salts, they're easy to fix. You just get some tile out there, fix the drainage, and your problem is solved. I would also say... To me, when I look at this test right away, it does appear that drainage is the problem. The reason why is because I look at all the leachable nutrients and they're all ridiculously high. So I got a tremendous amount of nitrate and a lot of sulfur and a lot of boron. And all those things will normally flush right out, as will soluble salts, when you have good drainage. We often talk about to improve drainage, you may need to add more calcium. Well, you're in luck because you don't need to add any more calcium here. So that's not the problem. You might have some compaction out there or something like that, but calcium is definitely not your problem. So if it's me, I'm probably going to work on getting some tile out there and at least in that problem area. And you might have to tile with a close spacing because well, it's not an 86 cation exchange capacity. We know it is very high. It's really heavy soil. you got to have tight spacings with that. We'll get to more of your questions in the Ag PhD Mailbag next. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long foliar disease protection from the start. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves through your corn plants as they grow for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. Growers and retailers are sharing their Zyway brand fungicide success stories at zyway.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. If you understood everything on a soil test and could make your own fertility plan, do you think you could cut your farm's fertilizer expenses? Maybe you could increase your yields. Why not both? Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. We want to empower you to make your own fertility decisions. That's why we're devoting two full days to our Ag PhD Soils Clinic this year, January 10th and 11th at the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. This could be the two most important days you spend in your farming career, and it's free. So register now at agphd.com. In his last will and testament, Robert has bequeathed to his only heir and devoted caretaker one-third of his house, a third of his truck, and a third of his beloved dog, Mr. Bo here. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm a little confused. Don't settle for a fraction of what you deserve, especially at harvest. Yield your best with Veltima fungicide's proven plant health benefits and revolutionary application flexibility. One-third of a dog. Right. Get everything you deserve with Veltima fungicide. From BASF, always read and follow label directions. 
The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Martin Studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time. That means we're taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD or by email radio at agphd.com. Got this email in from Joe down in Brazil. Uh, he says, hey, guys, uh, thanks for answering my questions in the past. I'm working on pushing soil fertility on our farm. I'm using information from you guys and also from Neil Kinsey. We're farming about 6,000 acres down here, about half of it's irrigated, and I'm starting to see some great results after two years using lime and doing some tillage on our corn. We've seen corn go up by 20 to 40 bushels per acre, and wheat has improved 10 to 15 bushels an acre. Now I'm trying to push phosphorus in my soils with 1152 and manure. They're the two sources I've got to, to be able to do this. We were under fertilizing these crops for years. Our university recommendations here were, were just not sufficient. Uh, attached is our soil sample from 2019 and 2022 in the same area. These are one hectare grids. Uh, he said our calcium went from... 40% up to 62% base saturation, and our magnesium rose from 11 up to 16. Now, our lime source is dolomitic lime, and I'm wondering, what do you think about that 16% magnesium saturation? Do I have bigger problems than that, or yep. is that going to be a concern? No. Uh, Neil talks about 12%, uh, but is it similar testing methods and that kind of thing would be my question. Uh, and then also he said, I want to reach 100 parts per million phosphorus. Today I've got 40. Uh, what? How much is it going to take to do that? Okay, so different questions there. First of all, the magnesium. Let's talk about that. Is 16% a concern in that light soil, 8 to 10 CEC? No way. One of the other things Neil will talk about is you can loosen a tight soil with calcium. You can tighten a sandy soil with magnesium. You have what we would consider a light soil. It's 10 or less. That to us is a light soil. We want that magnesium closer to 20% than we do 12%. So you're perfectly fine, not going to have a problem. And also in your light soil, it's pretty easy to flush out excess magnesium with sulfur if worse came to worse. All right, so as far as the phosphorus thing, you said you're, you want to get to 100. You're at 40 parts per million right now. So you need 60 more parts per million. So here's how you run that calculation. You take, you say, all right, I'm, I'm short 60 parts per million. Multiply that times two to convert to pounds per acre. It's not going to be exact, but it's going to get you close enough. So 60 times two is 120. 
Then you have to multiply times 2.3 to convert over to phosphate, and I'll explain that here in a minute. So 120 times 2.3 is 276. The reason why we need to know phosphate is because you said you're using MAP, 11520. Well, MAP, the 52, is actually phosphate. So we, we got to make sure we're talking apples to apples. It's not phosphorus, it's phosphate. So if I take my 276 and I divide that by 0.52, that means I would need to put out 531 pounds of MAP to raise my part per million 60. Now, that's also figuring zero removal from the crop. So if you said, okay, I'm going to do this right before I plant, and at the end of the season I want to be at 100 parts per million, well, you need to add crop removal as well. So just kind of keep that in mind. So for simple terms, I just divided out the 531 by the 60. So basically for every one part per million you want to go up on your phosphorus test, you need to put out roughly... 8.85 or just for let's round it to nine you need to put out nine pounds of map so for every one part per million you want to go up in the soil test on phosphorus you need to go up you need to apply nine pounds of map okay so that's the conversion on that oh let me add one other thing as i look through the soil test just quickly so we've talked a lot about potassium today the potassium levels are really variable, but just understand when you have a lighter soil and lots of rain and especially irrigation besides the lots of rain that you get, and I'm assuming since you're in Brazil that the ground never freezes like ours does, um, you're going to leach out some of your potassium on a regular basis. So you have to continue spoon feeding. You have to keep working on the potassium. Phosphorus, zinc, copper, those nutrients are pretty easy because you put them out once and they're there until you use them up. But it's not that way with potassium. I mean, it certainly isn't with nitrogen, sulfur, boron, and you know that. But with potassium in that light soil, I, I just continue spoon feeding because you get a lot of stuff where it's, it, it's, it's not great right now. So you want to keep that, that potassium level up to raise good, a good crop and have a good stock that stands. Janelle, you might might put this next response in uh, the same email you send to Joe because this one kind of uh, might help him out too. This comes from Brandon. Brandon says, guys, thoughts on 103040 or other phosphate products, if I place them 0 by 2 or yep. 0 by 2 by 2, roughly at seed depth, a couple inches to the side with my planter. Just wondering mm -hmm. a couple things here. Is that going to be a waste of time and money due to lack of movement with that phosphate? And likely wait, to wait, worsen wait. stratification. Is what going to be a waste of money? Well, uh, is nutrient stratification a big deal? Should I be putting them deeper than that, or is oh. that going to help? We well, have 10 CEC soils. We have low phosphate and low organic matter levels. Sure. Uh, we're raising corn, sunflowers, and milo. Okay. So if I was in your situation, would I do – Would I I, I mean, I don't, I don't like 10340 because you can't put much out there. It's too high a salt, and it's going to hurt stuff if you put very much out. And also, there are a lot of people that will say, well, I've used 5 gallons or 8 gallons or 10 gallons for years, and I haven't had a problem. You will. Sooner or later, you will. Every time I've ever been out on a guy's farm where he says, well, it's never been a problem before until now, um, I, it's like, yeah, I get that. You've never had a problem, but when you're pushing the limits of – acceptable, then sooner or later it's going to catch up to you and then you get a 50 bushel loss. I don't want to have that. So I'd just say use a low salt product if you want to use very much. If you're talking a gallon or two or three gallons, I don't care. 
But the thing is, when you're low on phosphorus, you got to do something. And so a lot of people we talk to, they're fairly in fairly good shape. Their phosphorus levels are fairly high in their top two or three inches. So adding more in the top two or three inches doesn't help them as much as it might help you. And so like for them, if they already have their top two or three inches loaded up, then we say, hey, if you could get some a little bit deeper, that'd be great. Let's spread it out a little bit. But you're in the situation where everything's so low, you just got to get something out there and get it into that plant as quick as you can. So I'm not that worried about getting it deep right now. Eventually, though, if you build up that soil, then, yes, it would be nice to go deeper. I'll give you another example of why depth is important. Phosphorus is the number one water quality issue we have in the United States in fresh water today. How phosphorus gets into the fresh water almost exclusively is with soil erosion. So if you can eliminate soil erosion, which nobody can, then you'll stop the phosphorus problem. Or you can place your phosphorus a little deeper. So even if you have some erosion, you don't lose the phosphorus. There are a lot of people, too, that have manure. And you know how it goes. Um, Rather than thinking about the nutrient content of the manure, they're thinking about, I got to get rid of the manure. So a lot of the people that have it, their top six inches are way loaded up. And then they run into this issue where the state comes out, checks it, and they go, yeah, you can't put any more out. So here again, this is where, you know what, if you start placing it 8, 10, 12 inches deep, now you're in pretty good shape. Now you actually can put more out there. You're not impacting the ground that can erode, and you don't have to worry about that phosphorus loss to the degree that somebody does when they have their top, and especially top, couple inches loaded up. So anyway, I know I gave you a long explanation there, but I just say I'm not too worried about it stratifying for now you just got to feed that plant yeah for sure you got to worry about this year and this crop and and getting enough uh, nutrient into that to to be successful and thanks for the question got this one from mark and he said guys fixing poor drainage areas can you just give it to me in plain english what's the solution if i got a poor drainage area well usually it's tile you get some tile out there and then the water can can get away better. Now, with tile, I would just say for everybody listening, please understand, tile doesn't take massive amounts of water away immediately. A lot of people set their systems up on a third of an inch to maybe a half an inch per acre per day. So if you had a four-inch rain, it would literally take eight days, 12 days, something like that to get rid of the water. So it's, it's, it's slow. But anyway, tiles, number one. Number two is check your calcium levels. You want to make sure you have at least 65% calcium in the soil that means better soil porosity and you can get the water flowing down better and then the third thing i would i would say usually is if we can build soil organic matter uh, that's great Uh, you can also just make sure you're reducing compaction as much as possible so all those things can be important for better drainage Thanks for the questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.